Well, good morning again, church. It's good to be here. I tell you, um, today feels a bit like coming up for air for me, and it's really good to be here. If you are a guest, you, you probably don't know, and nor should you know, that it's been a rough few weeks for my family. My father-in-law fell um, just before Thanksgiving in a really bad, tragic accident and uh, broke eight ribs, punctured a lung, got a concussion, but also most, most tragically broke his spine. And uh, he's now paralyzed from the waist down. And then after he had surgery on that, the day after it happened, he, he developed an infection in his spinal fluid, which nearly cost him his life. And so it was, it was really, really delicate a couple weeks ago. So I, I, I came back last week for a bit and traveled back this weekend. Yesterday, he got moved to rehab, which is huge, such a blessing. And we're really hopeful in the start of this new journey. I wish I could say to you, he's doing great. Truth is, it's been really hard, really, really hard for the whole family. So um, we just need your prayers to continue. I know you've been lifting me up, lifting our family up, lifting him up. Uh, I've learned two things. This is all a uh, bonus to the sermon itself, and I'll stop talking about this in just a moment. We've learned two things really clearly. Uh, the first is I don't know how anybody goes through this life without being part of a church family. I don't know how you do it. The, uh, the first night he had this really severe concussion, so he wasn't making any sense, and he was stabilized and laying down, neck brace on everything. One of the first people there was a guy named George Baker, who's an elder at their church, Highland Oaks Church. And he walks in and Randy, who hasn't really said anything coherently since the accident happened, sees George Baker. And all of a sudden he's crystal clear. And he says, George, I need you to do something for me. And George says, okay. He says, I need you to turn around, walk out that door and not come back. George's kind of taken back. And, and Randy says, you always show up when people are dying. The next day, he doesn't even remember saying that, but we all got a kick out of it. George does show up when people are dying. Uh, the next day, we had surgery. They stabilized him through the night, and he had this surgery the next day. And we probably had over 30 people in the waiting room waiting with us. And there was this one lady who was there, probably late 50s, and she was waiting on her husband, who was having a really delicate surgery of his own. And she was all by herself, all by herself. And so some from our group struck up a conversation with her and they were, they were talking with her. And the doctor comes out and, he's, and he, her doctor comes out after performing the surgery on her husband. He looks around and sees all these people and he says, are all these people with you? She kind of has this look of disappointment on her face. But before she can answer, one of the ladies from Highland Oaks says, you bet we are. You bet we are. Man, just beautiful. How do you go through life without that? I don't know. We're really thankful for all the ways you've supported us. Uh, you know, I think people here uh, are convinced I'm going to starve to death without Lindsay in town. <laughs> Jill Hatcher and Michelle Betts have made sure I haven't missed any meals, and I won't turn any other meals down. <laughs> uh, I did pick out my own clothes today, and I don't think these are the right color socks, so I am struggling a little bit. Uh, the second thing we've learned, and then I'll, I'll get on with business, is, um, you know, Christmas, the season leading up to Christmas, ultimately, what it's about, 
is expectation of Jesus' arrival. You know, what we're longing for, just like they were longing for for so many years before he was born in that manger, is the return of the king, the arrival of the king. And I'll tell you what, Lindsay and I and our family have never been so ready for Jesus to come back. And as messed up as this Christmas is going to be and as wild and disoriented as it is, it really puts that central message into sharp, sharp focus for us. We really, really are longing for that day when we'll walk all of us, my father-in-law included, and not grow weary. We are really looking forward to that day. So come, Lord Jesus, right? Can we talk about something else? Uh, anything else? really. Uh, I was going to preach the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Jim Martin filled in, and I'm so thankful for that. He did a wonderful job. It's such a blessing to be at a place with folks like himself who can fill in in a moment's notice, just a few days' notice. So I'm thankful. But we actually had a guest speaker coming today who canceled on us, so I, I'm just doing that sermon that we had prepared for that day. So we're taking a step back, and we're, we're going back to the beginning of Matthew, Matthew 1, 1 through 17. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, that's where we'll be today. And, and the truth is, though, I said I'd, I'd like to talk about anything else, but if I was going to pick anything else to talk about, I probably would not pick genealogies, which are super boring, right? Can I get an amen on that? I mean, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, so-and-so the father. If you read the King James Version, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. I still don't know what begatting really means. I mean, there's nothing I'd... I'd actually like to talk about less than genealogies. But you know who loves genealogies? Loves them. Counselors. They love genealogies. I told Kevin Shelby, who teaches counseling at HST, I was thinking about doing a, a Jesus and his genogram sermon, which is another word for fancy genealogies. And he kind of started drooling a little bit out of the side of his mouth. Ed Gray's given me a special bonus just for this sermon, and we've already agreed upon it. They do call these genealogies counselors. They call them genograms. If you've ever seen a genogram, it's kind of, it's kind of like a charted or graphed genealogy where you stand back and you look at it and you see all the generations that came before you and you see with kind of cool colors and shapes and shading who those people were, what their gifts were, what their weaknesses were. You know, you'll see if they were really brilliant scientists or if this marriage broke apart or if this guy was an alcoholic, right? And you can kind of trace those traits through the generations. And so if you, were to, if you were to sit with somebody like Kevin Shelby and go through your genogram, you'd probably at the end of it kind of stand back and look at it and say, huh, so that's the reason I am the way that I am. Kevin Shelby does charge for that, by the way. <laughs> would, you, would you be willing to, to try something with me? Would you be willing to play pretend with me? That's what we say to Noble. Let's play pretend. Let's pretend for a second. You and I are the counselor. And Jesus walks in and he says, Counselor, I've been, I've been wondering a little bit why, you know, I guess why I am the way that I am. And we say, yeah, we can, we can help you with that, Jesus, except just so you know, this, there's a charge. And <clears throat> he kind of <clears throat> looks at us surprised and he says, you know, do I, do I need to remind you I've I've paid your ransom in full, in blood. Oh, Jesus, we prefer visa, actually. 
But we say, yeah, let's, let's sit down. You have a copy of your genogram with you. And he does. He's got a copy of Matthew 1, 1 through 17. So he lays it in front of us. And we, we kind of begin to scan over it. And we say, thanks for writing it down. He says, actually, Matthew wrote it down. We think tomato, tomato. Anyways, Jesus, we notice here. There at the beginning of your genealogy, it says, well, it starts with David and Abraham. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, let's come back to them for a moment because I'm just looking at this list and there's a lot of people I don't, I don't know. I wonder if you could kind of tell me about them. Tell us about Judah. He sighs. Uh, I knew you were going to ask about Judah. Judah was so... Well, he was so human. He was one of a bunch of brothers. And they had this dad, Jacob, who loved one brother more than the rest. He loved that brother, Joseph, so much that one day Joseph showed up wearing this fancy new coat that his dad had given him. Judah's dad, my grandpa. And it was Judah who spoke up and said, let's get rid of him. In fact, let's make a little money off of our brother. Let's sell our brother as a slave. It was Judah, my grandpa, who did that. We say, Jesus, that kind of reminds us of a story. I, I feel like I remember you telling us at one time about getting run off by your family. He says, well, you're, you're kind of remembering it, right? They weren't exactly my family, but I'd grown up with them. I mean, these, these were the people who had watched me grow from a child. I sat next to them in synagogue every day. I mean, the older ladies would come and kiss my cheek, and I'd have to rub off the lipstick when they weren't looking. But they were good people. I loved those people. I'd been away for a while, and I came home one day, went back to that same synagogue, got kissed by those same ladies. And they asked me to stand up and read. And so I did. And I read, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I read that and they turned on me just like that. They pushed me to the edge of town, to this cliff. Judah threw his brother in a hole and they tried to throw me off that cliff. Hmm. Jesus, if I feel like you said something about that story. I think we wrote it down somewhere. Something like a prophet is not accepted in their hometown. He says, yeah, actually Luke wrote that down. Tomato, tomato, we think. But Jesus, at the end of that story, if I remember right, you you basically say something about going to those people who will receive you. Or in other words, that your vision for this kingdom of God is a lot bigger than any one group of people or any one race, Jews, any other group, any one group. And Jesus, I've just kind of wondered where that came from. I mean, it was such a radical departure from everything everybody has always expected of you. And as a counselor, I'm interested in those radical departures. Where'd that come from? He kind of looks down in the genogram in front of him. And he says, well, 
I reckon that starts with Tamar. You see her in the list? She actually had a run-in with Judah herself. She's, she's there in my genogram. You know what? She wasn't a Jew. She was a Canaanite. Hmm. We think to ourselves, we'd kind of forgotten that. At least I'd forgotten that, but y'all probably had not. He says Rahab, who's there too, uh, she was a Canaanite as well. Ruth, also there. She was a Moabite. And Bathsheba, she's not there by name. She's listed as Uriah's wife. Well, she was a Hittite, not Jews, those women. You say, is that why you included them in your genealogy? You know, I've always wondered, we, us counselors here, have always wondered why you included the women. I mean, we, we like to include women, but the, the men in your time didn't do that in their genealogies. They, they ignored the women. He says, you know, I almost did that one time. It had been a long day, crowds surrounding me all day, everybody asking for help. I finally sit down in the evening for dinner, and this woman, a Canaanite like my grandmother's, comes to me, and she's just begging me to heal her daughter. But I'm tired, and so I just ignore her. I didn't say a word. You know, Jesus, that's always bothered us, actually. That story has really troubled us. He said, yeah, I know, I've, I've heard a lot about it. But what, has, what would have really troubled my grandmothers is what I said to her next. Because I basically told her, don't bother me, I'm focusing on the Jews. Bless her heart. That was not a good enough answer for her. And she told me so. She was like, I don't know, as bold as Ruth. But she looked me in the eyes and she told me that even the dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. Ooh. So you healed her, her daughter, right, Jesus? He smiles. Jesus, while we're talking about these women in your genealogy, I've always wondered about this other story with you and a certain woman. If I remember it right, this group of men brought this struggling woman in front of you. I think you were drawn in the sand when she came. And, and Jesus, you know, we're Bible-believing people. And in fact, you know, we're, we're Church of Christ, which is kind of a special badge there. <laughs> so we take our Bible really seriously, Jesus. And, you know, we, we read our Old Testament and... and I think those guys were just reading their Old Testament, and, and they, according to that, had every right to bring her stoner, stoner to death. But I remember that you stopped them, and I've always wondered why you did that. He kind of looks down at the genealogy, and he says, well, that's easy. Look, at least four out of the five women am I my genealogy, were sexually humiliated. Tamar had to sell herself to Judah to be worth anything to him. Rahab had to sell her body every day and night to survive. 
Bathsheba, she's hardly the seductress she's painted as. When the king of your country demands that you come to his bedroom, when one person has all of the power in the relationship, well, that's not exactly fair. Ruth, now Ruth, she goes to Boaz at night when he's drunk and uncovers his feet. Now, I think her intentions were good, but come on, Ruth. It doesn't look that good. And my own mom, Mary, pregnant as a teenager, not married. Even my dad had his doubts. So, so why do you think I defended her? Uh, Jesus, we're asking the questions here. Uh, Jesus, again, while we're talking about women, I remember my mom had this, and I'm talking about all of our moms now, had this inscription above the kitchen sink that I'd always look at while she was washing dishes, and it said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I asked her about that because her yoke did not seem easy. Right? I, I, re, I remember one Christmas time in the Christmas play, my mom wore me, made me wear lipstick because I was young boy Jesus. Now I'm just talking about myself. Did your moms make you wear lipstick in the Christmas play? Uh, just, just my mom. She told me every mom did that. <clears throat> Her yoke didn't seem that easy to me. But she said that you, you said that. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Where, where is that where's that come from? He looks down at the list again. He says, oh, Rehoboam. We're not too familiar with Rehoboam. He was Solomon's son. We remember that, the great King Solomon. He says, well, let me tell you a little bit about Rehoboam. He became king after Solomon. And the people came to him. And they said, if you'll just work us just a little bit less than your dad did, then we will serve you. We will give you everything you want. We will do everything you need. We just want you to lighten up on us just a little bit. Rehoboam thought about it. And this is what he said. My father made your yoke heavy, but I'll make it heavier. And it tore the kingdom apart. Jesus, we say, <clears throat> what about this strange name here? I don't really remember it. Uzziah. Uzziah. All I remember about him is that he was a leper. And Jesus says, yeah, that, that's right. And I've never had leprosy, fortunately. I have dealt with some people who had leprosy. In fact, I healed 10 lepers one time and only one said thank you. People these days, Jesus, I know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? But I've been thinking about Uzziah a lot lately, he goes on. He says, you know, he was actually the king when he got leprosy. And when he got leprosy, the text says he was excluded. They put him off in a separate house, away from everybody away from his throne, away from his power. Someone ruled in his stead. He was kind of just put out there, forgotten and disgraced until, he, until the day he died. 
Jesus kind of stares off in the window for a second. He just gets eerily quiet when he says that. And we're thinking about what he's just said. And we, we remember this sermon that our preachers did a while back, this series called Alien Ethics, because we never forget our preacher's sermons. And we remember they preached about Hebrews 13, 12 and 13. So we kind of make a note of that. Hebrews 13, 12, 13. You, you probably remember it, but there it says, Jesus suffered, suffered outside the city to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. But we kind of look at Jesus and decide not to push that right now. He seems a little fragile. <clears throat> so we figure we'll lob up a softball. We go back to the beginning. We say, Jesus, let's, you know, we're running out of time here. Let me ask you about son of David, son of Abraham. You know, because that's kind of a peculiar construction. Because if you're thinking chronologically, Abraham actually comes before David. It should be son of Abraham, son of David, and you've kind of got them flipped. But, you know, I guess I get that. Son of David means you're king. You're the guy. Everybody's been waiting on you. I can I kind of understand why you'd put that first. God made this promise to David that one of his descendants would be on the throne. Son of David, yeah, you're king. But I don't, I guess I don't know why you put son of Abraham up there. He kind of stares at us in the eyes. And his jaw has just the slightest tremor to it. And he says, you, well, you remember what happened to Abraham's son. He was bound up by his dad, put on the altar as a sacrifice. His dad held that knife high above his head. Only God spared him but I don't think he's gonna spare me. And I guess you need to know if we're gonna continue these meetings, and I hope we do, that I'm not just the king, I'm the king who'll die. I'm son of David, son of Abraham. He looks at his watch, oh, I've kept you too long. My apologies. People time these things like sermons. <clears throat> I pay on the way out, right? We're kind of still shaken by what he said, but we, we nod our heads. Yeah, yeah, you pay on, the, pay on the way out. We sit for a while and think about the conversation we've just had with Jesus. We begin to pack things up. We're not really sure what to make of the conversation. We're, we go, we lock the door. We hit the lights on our way out of the office. There's still a lot left in the genealogy, we think, and we're gonna have to make time for that. To, to just to really understand him, we're gonna, we're gonna have to make time for that in our next meetings. But the thought occurs to us as we stand there in the doorway that the more that we've gotten to know about this Jesus, well, the more we're, we're looking forward to our meeting next week. It's kind of like a first date. The more you get to know about that person, 
the more you want to be around them, the more it pains you to be away from them, the more you kind of just look forward to the next time you'll be with them. And we decide, I can't wait for next week. And we go home that night, we drive home, and we tuck our kids into bed, and they want a bedtime story. So we read them this story about this baby named Jesus, born in a manger, called the Christ. And there's the magi and the shepherds and the angels singing, hallelujah, hosanna in the highest. And we go to turn off the lights, tell them good night, and they say, Dad, Mom, what's Jesus like? And we say, oh, well, you mean who? Who's Jesus like? Well, I hope you get to meet him really soon. Because I think when you do, you're going to like him just the way that he is. Merry Christmas, honey. Will you stand and sing with me? We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify.